Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And welcome Welcome to to the the Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. In today's episode, we are going to be sharing the conversations that we had with the attendees and the vendors of the Utah Farm Conference that was put on by the Red Acre Center, and it was up in Cedar City, and it was back in February of this year. And if you're interested in attending the conference next year, it's going to be January 14th through the 16th. 2021 up in Cedar City. And if you want more information on that, you can check out redacrecenter.org. All right, let's get started. So I'm Reagan Emmons. I am the uh, coordinator for the Utah Farmers Market Network, which we're working on. It's a work in progress. And what are you doing here at the Utah Farm Conference? I'm here to network and learn what I can. Um, and I'm also delivering a presentation. I'm actually just moderating the presentation with some colleagues of mine at 10 o'clock this morning on um, farm stands and other direct marketing farmers to be able to take SNAP. So everything you need to do and know to take SNAP. And why is SNAP important for farmers markets? So SNAP is important for um, farmers markets and other direct marketing farmers because it allows them to expand their customer base and um, have people come in that might not otherwise be um, able to afford their produce or even know about it. So it kind of just gives them exposure. It gives them the ability to reach out to those customers that are sometimes unreachable. And why should people support local farmers and makers? People should support local farms and um, farmers markets because, well, there's a ton of reasons. (laughs) Um, It's always good to support your local economy. Um, Those dollars stay in our communities when we do that. Um, It's just always good to support your neighbors and and the people that are working hard to um, make a living in your community. I I think there's a ton of reasons I could go on and on about that, but those are the big ones. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you would like to share for our listeners? Just make sure to check out your farmer's markets this summer, especially when all the farmer's markets start going. And um, there are year-round farmer's markets here in Utah that we are blessed with. Um, The St. George one, the one in Ogden, and the downtown Salt Lake market are all year-round markets. So go out and get your local produce. My name's Janet Williamson, and I'm from New Harmony, Utah. And what are you selling here at the Utah Farm Conference? I'm selling kale chips and onion rings. They're all dehydrated, and they're really healthy. I have uh, deodorant, lip balm, lots of different soaps, foot cream, and propolis tincture that we get from our bees. Propolis is the sticky substance that the bees use to put on the hives to seal them up. And you take that, and it's, it's antibacterial and antifungal. And you take it and you mix it with grain alcohol, and then you put it on, it clears up fungus, it's antibacterial, antiviral, a fever sores. If I get a fever sore, I put it on right away, and it doesn't escalate into the full five to seven day process. It gets it right then. So then how big is your your operation? It's just a small farm operation. We moved here from Illinois in 2012, and we, my husband was a farmer all his life, and we've always had a garden, and we've been interested in, since we retired, we've been interested in farmer's market. And so we started doing the market about five years ago in Cedar, 
and it's been pretty successful, and it's fun. You meet a lot of people. And Did you say what the name of your farm was? It's Colab uh, Products. My, we also run a construction business, so uh, it's just Colab. I do my Colab products, and it's the Colab construction as well. So, My name is Bill Holloman, known as the Honey Guy. I live in Parowan, Utah, but my bees are not there. They're somewhere else. Where are your bees? Well, right now they're south of Hurricane, okay, because it's warmer down there, and the bees winter better in warmer climate. So, mm-hmm. And then you move them up to you in the summertime, or do you keep them there year-round? Yes, my bees are on a trailer, so I can move them very easily to wherever it's blooming, and um, I always move them at nighttime. And how long have you been working with bees? I had my first hive when I was 13 years old. Uh, during my high school years, I worked for a commercial beekeeper. After I married, my father-in-law owned over 4,000 hives, and I worked with him. So I've been in bees or connected to bees all my life. So what got you interested in bees at 13? What made me interested in bees? I just like bees. I grew up with bees. And uh, when I retired, I said, I'm not going to sit around. So I've got bees, and I enjoy it. And uh, we meet a lot of people, a lot of fun. Yeah. And why are bees important? Yeah, bees pollinate over a third of our crops. And without bees, I just read the other day, without bees, uh, the human population has four years and they'll be gone. So that's how important bees are. And right now it's a struggle to keep a hive of bees alive with all the insecticide and the poisons, with the mites inside the hive and the different diseases. And it's a real challenge today. So people, if people are concerned about helping bees, what's one thing they can do? The best they can do is never kill a bee. Okay, and if you have some, a swarm in your yard or something, call the local bee inspector. They'll take care of that. And also uh, plant flowers that, are, uh, that bees like. And what are a few flowers that bees really enjoy? Well, the best is a dandelion. Of course, everybody calls that a weed. And that's not a weed. That's a lifesaver for the, for the bees. It really is. In the spring of the year, nothing better than dandelions. And I know they're ugly in the, in the yard, but, uh, boy, they're a lifesaver. So just all kind of flowers. Russian sage is great for bees. Okay, and this makes like a hedge. I mean, so just plant flowers. And don't spray pesticides, right? Actually, it's illegal to spray pesticides on a bloom. On a bloom. You can't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So it is very, bees are very delicate. It doesn't take too much to wipe out a hive of bees. So just be careful. Yeah. And then what all do you make from your bees? Well, we have honey. And because I can move my bees to wherever it's blooming, uh, we'll move them and, and we'll make apple blossom honey early in the spring when the apples are blooming. Then we do move them onto the dandelions and make dandelion honey in the month of May. June, July, and August, we make clover honey off of the alfalfa fields. And so if it rains at the right time of the year, there's some wildflowers out in the desert that we make wildflower honey. So the taste of the honey depends on the flowers that they're getting their pollen from? That's correct. Every flower has its own taste. And you can also, the darker the honey, the stronger the taste. The lighter the honey, the more mild it is. Yeah. So what's a benefit for people when they eat honey? The scientists who figure this stuff out, that, that honey is antibacterial and anti-everything else. Uh, so it's just a benefit to eat honey. I'm going to say local raw honey. 
every day. And it just does wonders for the body. <laughs> okay, and then last question, why should people support local farmers? Simply because they keep the bees alive. Uh, I'm serious. It is a, a challenge today to keep a hive of bees alive, much less producing honey. Uh, but I've been in it all my life, and so I kind of know the ins and outs, what to do, what not to do. And actually, I make about three to four times as much honey as the average beekeeper in Utah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what do you think your secret is to making that much more honey? Um, two things. Knowledge. Been there all my life. Two, I uh, move my bees on a trailer wherever it's blooming. So my bees are making honey almost every day starting in the month of May. Wow. Okay, and if people are interested in getting into beekeeping themselves, what's your resource of where they could start to learn all of this stuff? If they want to get into beekeeping, they need to talk to their local bee inspector, and uh, he can get, he or she can give them the instructions that they need. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Enjoy life. Hi, my name is Holly. I'm co-owned Super Bloom Coffee Roasters with my husband, Spencer. We roast locally in Santa Clara, Utah, just outside of St. George. Uh, We roast our coffee to benefit public lands. So we roast specialty coffee, and we try to give back to our public lands and our community as much as possible. So the proceeds from, from our coffee sales, organizing advocacy and trail runs, and hopefully doing some, some trail cleanups this year. And where do you get your coffee beans from? We get our coffee beans from all kinds of different countries, from Central America and South America, different places. We work with green coffee buyers who make sure to have relationships with the farmers so we know um, we're buying sustainably sourced coffee. And why is sustainability important with coffee? It's something that touches a lot of people, everyone from the growers to the buyers to the roasters to the baristas to the consumers. Um, And it's something that we just feel is personally important to make sure that that we're contributing back and um, representing our business in in a way that we think businesses should um, should be a part play a role in the community that's awesome and what got you interested in coffee um on so Spencer and I are are married and on our first date actually I think our third date he made me a cup of coffee and it was the best coffee I've ever tasted um he has a background in coffee roasting and barista and all of that and I didn't know what I was missing until I tried his coffee and it's been kind of a staple in our relationship in a way that we slow down in the morning and connect to nature and um connect with our friends and ourselves and so why is Buying local is important so that you feel more connected to the people around you and your community and and build the place that you want to be living in. And it also helps reduce your environmental footprint. My name is Pam Langford, and the name of my farm is Marigold Gardens. I am here in Cedar, or out by Three Peaks area kind of thing, so about 20 minutes from here. 
And what all do you grow? So I grow a lot of different vegetables, and I'm a year-round. I actually do the farmer's market here in town over off of 200 North. And so we've got carrots and potatoes and beets in the ground. I have fresh greens year-round, fresh herbs year-round. So, yeah. And how do you grow it year-round up here? Do you have a greenhouse then? So I have a few greenhouses. Uh, one that gives me the ability to do the greens is actually a sunken, partially sunken greenhouse. And then I have two large regular greenhouses. And then we also I even have the potatoes and the carrots actually outside in the ground and scoot the snow off and pick them. So, yeah. And how long have you been farming? Well, I have been farming for over 40 years because as a child that's what we did Um, I took a break of a few years there raising kids and stuff and then I'm doing it as I'm raising kids now so a lot of years and why do you think raising your own food is important Uh, I just like the feeling I guess of being self-sustainable knowing that I can feed my family that I can take care of us regardless I looked at food storage for a while but then I just thought well what better way to actually have food storage than if you have it in the ground always so that's what we do and then why should people support local farmers Uh, It's what makes it possible for us to do it, is if we have support, and it's a backup plan for them, too, as well. So, yeah. So are all your kids involved in the farming? Yes. I have got 12 kids, and uh, even my grandkids are starting to get involved. So, yeah, we do it as a family. My sons and husband have been the ones that have built the greenhouses, and... Yeah, it's really... And why do you think it's important to get kids involved in farming? Kids need to know how to do what we do. And you can take a three-year-old that's raised on a farm and they can identify everything. And that is how it should be. They should know how to do it. It should be second nature. My name is Julie Sheen, and we're from Giving Ground Seeds, and we're based in Pocatello, Idaho. Um, We're a small farm. We're three acres, and we sell, um, we focus on rare varieties suited for short season climates and more arid climates. Um, Pocatello, we are are super arid. It's high desert up there, and we have a short season. So it's a little bit of a difficult growing season, even though we have excellent Snake River Valley soil. Um, And we wanted to fill that niche of um, seeds for arid short season climates because we you know when we've been farming prior to having our own seed company we had struggles trying to find seeds that were well adapted to our our growing conditions right right because seeds learn every year right so they'll adapt to your local climate right so can you speak a little bit of why it's important for people to save their own seeds yeah, and that's a nice way to put it, that seeds learn, because you really do see year after year, if you're saving your own seeds in your garden, you really do see um, slight changes um, that help the plant thrive more in your um, situation. Because basically, when you're saving seeds, even if you're not doing any kind of advanced selection techniques, you're most likely going to save seeds from the plants that are doing the best in that you know, population that you're growing out. So if they're doing great in your, um, in your garden year after year, if you're selecting, you know, 
50% that are doing the best over time you're going to have crops that are really well adapted to your growing conditions um, and they're going to be easier for you to grow you're going to have less inputs as far as like water fertility pest management Um, and that's historically the way that seed saving and cultivation of of gardens has been done is by farmers gardeners homesteaders saving their own seeds sharing them locally or even not so locally um and kind of going from there right that's awesome thank you and so why are heirloom seeds important Well, heirloom is a designation that basically means a seed is open pollinated. It's something that, which that means um, that the seed will breed true year after year. It's not a hybrid. um, And hybrids are basically intentional crosses made by usually seed companies, larger seed companies, and that um, want certain traits in that plant. But and there's not really any intrinsic problem in that. But when when gardeners go to save those seeds for the following year, they're not going to breed true. You're going to find plants all over the map, super short ones, super tall ones, just because of how the genetics work from um, year to year and generation to generation. So heirlooms is a word that people usually use to um, mean open pollinated seeds. Sometimes it also means seeds that have a story that have been passed down for generations like you would an heirloom antique item. Um, And so open pollinated seeds really put the power in the people's hands. It puts the power in the gardeners and farmers hands to save those seeds and improve those crops. Um, so that's why they're important. We don't have, I don't have anything intrinsically like against hybrids, but heirlooms and open pollinated varieties just, just keep the, keep the control kind of of that variety in the farmer's hand. Right. And hybrids, you can like breed from them yourself. It takes like seven years, right? Kind of before you get back to like the original, whatever they crossed it with. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a, a quite a while. It's a, it's a big sort of breeding effort to dehybridize a hybrid and get it to be a stable open pollinated variety and if you're up for the challenge it can be a really interesting breeding project if you take a hybrid of something that you really like you really like certain traits of it and you want to turn it into an open pollinated variety that you can then give to your friends and say you can keep this for year to year Um, there are a number of farmers doing that and that's an interesting breeding project in and of itself well and can't also farmers start breeding their own like if they like certain tastes from one bell pepper they can plant next to like another bell pepper and they'll eventually cross-pollinate right Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um some some it's just that simple if they're outcrossers you just plant them near each other and expect them to in inbreed and cross cross pollinate and um some crops you have to more more do more hand pollinating like peas because they're they pollinate themselves so in order to kind of overcome that you have to hand pollinate them but we grow a lot of land races um that are bred by joseph lofthouse in paradise utah and basically what he does to create a new land race is he does exactly that he takes a bunch of different varieties 
lets them all cross and crosses them himself and then year to year selects the ones that do the best and he maintains a really diverse population so he has you know um, diversity to select from and um, yeah I encourage people to check out him too awesome awesome and so why should people support local farmers and seed savers yeah kind of like how I was saying um, seeds really learn and become adapted to a place and to a climate and as we're thinking about uh, an agriculture and food system that consumes less energy one of the crucial pieces of that is actually planting crops that are differ, or that are adapted to your area so you're not having to apply excessive amounts of water you're not having to apply um, excessive amounts of fertility and um, there many people don't realize that there are a lot of crops a lot of varieties of crops that are bred for low input systems and organic systems and so when you when you're buying locally when you're buying organic you're buying seeds that are adapted to those low input systems so if people are curious about starting their own gardens what would be your number one recommendation for them yeah i would i would just kind of look within your bioregion to start out with um you know the inner mountain west or or the west can be a really good place to start but really be really careful when you're shopping for seeds because some seed companies say they're sort of say they're grown locally when they're actually not so kind of learn a little bit just like you would when you go to the farmer's market and you want to learn about how your produce is grown learn a little bit about how your seeds are grown um because not not all seeds that are sold locally are grown locally um so yeah i would kind of start there my name is Constance Lynn, and I'm selling, I have an um, offering called Night Raven Wild and Organic Herbs. And so what all do you sell? I offer um, completely organic, 100% um, cream, salves, tinctures, teas, um, and I hand collect all the herbs. Wow. So do you have a farm, your own farm then? I have my own farm. And where is that located? Boulder, Utah. Okay. So what all what all do you grow? I grow, oh gosh, I mean I have a full vegetable garden, but then as far as the herbal remedies, it's um, calendula, red clover, yarrow, comfrey, um, gosh, everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just fields. So what got you interested in growing herbs? Yeah, personal health. Yeah, so... Are you a are you like an herbalist then? Okay. Very cool. So how big is your how big is your farm? My farm itself is probably a quarter acre. Wow. That's pretty impressive to be able to grow that much. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So if people didn't really know about herbs and all that stuff, what would you want them to know? Well, I would want them to know that we have co-evolved with the plants, and so they're they're our original medicine. Um, So working with the plants and healing ourselves also heals the earth, and so... 
So what are your favorite herbs to work with? Do you have a few? Gosh, um, I mean, I use red clover and everything. Yeah. <laughs> What's red clover good for? Red clover is really good for clearing the lymphatic system and preventing breast cancer and detoxing the liver. So. I only know red clover as a cover crop. I didn't realize there was all those medicinal benefits. Yes. That's super cool. Doing work for the soil as well. Just, yeah. So if people were interested in starting their own herb garden, what are a few that you would recommend people plant? I would recommend planting calendula. Yeah. And why why calendula? Well, calendula, it's easy to grow. It self-seeds. Um, it's beautiful. Um, attracts pollinators. Um, you can use it in, as a base in every single salve that you make just for the just healing properties and they're just amazing yeah and so why should people support local farmers oh gosh (laughs) to save the world (laughs) i think i mean the globalized food system is actually super fragile you know and very toxic and so if you get closer to home and and um know your farmer and can have relationships with your farmer and you know communicate that you don't want herbicides and pesticides and GMOs and all that and have that relationship I think I do think it's the way to change the world yeah absolutely and so how can people find your products um, you can come to Boulder Utah and go to the farmers market on Saturdays from May to October awesome. do you sell any of them online or anything no I I believe that the healing's in the relationship and so I like meeting people at the market and then if they want me to send them things after that I will but I don't have an online store okay Well, very cool. That's awesome. So is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I just believe that we can really change things by supporting what's important to us. Yeah. What we pay for is what gets produced, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So vote with your dollar. Message, vote with your dollar. Yeah. So I'm Roslyn Brain McCann, and I'm based off of the USU Moab campus, and I'm a sustainable communities extension specialist. So uh, in the simplest terms, that means I help Utahns improve their environmental footprint. Awesome. Do you work with Southern Utah very much, like St. George area? I do. We hosted a farm dinner here um, in 2019 through a USDA grant, and the purpose of the dinner was to really reach out and connect with low-income and ethnic minority populations in this area, and the Cedar City area specifically, and hear from them, what are the barriers to accessing local food, how can we help overcome those barriers, and we've taken that feedback and we're putting that into a short report that we're then going to use to share back to stakeholders in Cedar City to help improve the local food movement, and we're doing that in other areas around the state in 2020. Yeah, and so one of the things we're doing as part of this USDA grant is uh, at this conference, we're offering in about half an hour or less uh, SNAP training for growers, so uh, if you have a CS program, how can you accept SNAP customers and what would that look like and how do you market to get SNAP customers to attend your farmer's market booth or your CSA program and so that's the training that we're offering this morning and we'll be doing more of those around the state. This is um, one of our kickoff trainings. Awesome. And you said your your position with Utah State is sustainable community development, is that right? Sustainable communities, yep. Okay. Very close. So what, 
what goes into that? Like, what would be needed to create sustainable communities? I know that's probably a really long answer. (laughs) So how I've operationalized that in my world is really through permaculture design. So permaculture is an ecological design framework that is based on both traditional knowledge, but also scientific research uh, and present day. And it's really to create regenerative systems, not just in landscaping, but also at the community level and in government policy. So that's really what I'm focusing on. I created the USU Permaculture Initiative and I have been training students in regenerative design. We've been permaculturing areas on main campus and then also on the USU Moab campus, which is now in two-thirds in rain gardens and uh, mini food forest. We're growing figs and jujube and cherries and nectarines, all sorts of things in a space that was a mono-planted juniper row and concrete prior to the garden being in. So do you offer classes for people who aren't students? Yes, that's a great question. So I just submitted a USU extension grant, and I'll find out in April if it gets funded. And if so, then that will allow us, a team of us, to offer introduction to permaculture workshops around the state for either free or a very limited fee. And uh, just to get people uh, their feet wet when it comes to permaculture design. What's the the three ethics? What are the principles in permaculture? And uh, what are some examples of how this is being used at both the social level, but also the landscape level around the state already. That's awesome. I would love it if you came to St. George, because I cannot find anyone who's doing PDCs in Southern Utah. Like, I don't know of anybody. Well, that's not great, but uh, that's good to know, because we do plan to travel to various areas, and we're looking at launching a pilot PDC, if we get this grant uh, that I've applied for, in the Moab area as a a test, and so we can let you know with your station if that works out. Yeah, that'd be great, because I would love to take it. Excellent. <laughs> and then, so why do you feel like it's important for people to support local or get into growing their own food? Gosh, there's so many reasons. From So I think about environmental sustainability every day and um, purchasing local has major environmental benefits of you don't have the food footprint that you would have purchasing food that's been shipped across the U.S. But then also uh, in addition to that, generally if you're talking to the farmer, you get a better feel of their farming practices. They might not be certified organic, but they're engaged in practices that meet or exceed organic standards. And uh, I really strongly believe in supporting a small-scale grower. But then there's social benefits. So a lot of people don't actually think about the way they feel mentally, internally, when you go to a grocery store. It's not a relaxing experience. I have a baby and a toddler, and so when I have time to go grocery shopping, I don't want to be stressed. I want to go to a farmer's market, interact with a farmer, or go to our local food co-op in Moab, which is the Moonflower Co-op. And that is a more relaxing, grounding experience for me than being in a large-scale grocery store. And so that's, uh, to me, there's amazing psychological and emotional benefits, but also environmental benefits of purchasing locally. It's a win-win. Um, my name is Gina Cornea, and I am with an organization called Utahns Against Hunger, and I am here to talk to farmers about how they can accept supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits, which is otherwise known as food stamps. Right. And where are you based out of? Um, out of Salt Lake. Out of Salt Lake. Okay. And so you said it's the Utahns Against Hunger, mm-hmm. right? So what can you tell us about that organization? Yeah. So we are a policy advocacy organization that's been around for about 50 years. 
in our mission is to increase access to food through advocacy, outreach, and education. So we aren't an organization that is handing out food to people. We work on programs like summer food and food stamps and breakfast in the classroom, making sure that people who are eligible have access to those programs that help them purchase food. Okay. And why is that important? Well, so one in nine Utahns, Utah households experience food insecurity, which means basically means they just they don't have enough resources to buy their own food. And so, you know, I mean, obviously eating is a really important thing and has really um, beyond sort of, I mean, the obvious, it really impacts, you know, our health overall and food insecurity really impacts um, diet related illnesses like diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease. And there is really there's a whole body of study that talks about um, the impact food insecurity has on mental health, particularly in children and how that is, you know, is a traumatic experience for them. And so we want to make sure that people have access to the food they need. And so we work at the state legislature, we work on the federal level, and then we also work on the state, um, the state administrative level. So we do a lot of work with the Department of Workforce Services and the Department of Health, those um, agencies that administer those federal nutrition programs. And really, our goal is just to make sure that those programs are funded and that they're accessible and that people know about them and that they can make an informed choice about participating. Okay. And do you feel like one of the biggest roadblocks is the cost of healthy, nutritious food? Like, it ends up being more expensive, typically, right, than getting the processed food? Yeah. And, you know, food stamp benefits are really modest. You know, they're about $1.49 per person per meal. And so when you're trying to feed your kids healthy food or you're an elderly person and you're trying to buy healthy food, that can be a real barrier. And one of the things that Utahns Against Hunger is really proud of is getting more farmers markets and farm stands to accept SNAP. And there's a program that we started in 2015 called Double Up Food Bucks. And that allows people who get food stamps to take their benefits to the market and they can um, now, originally it was, we matched up to $10 and now it's up to 20. So somebody goes to a farmer's market, they can use their food stamp benefits, they'll get matched up to $20. And then that $20 match can only be used for fruits and vegetables. So it's really a way to make fruits and vegetables um, more accessible. Why do you think it's important? I think you kind of touched on this, but for everyone in general, why is it important for them to support local farmers and makers? Well, you know, a healthy food system really, um, I think, increases access to, to healthier foods. You know, I think that farmers markets and... Um, Farm stands, I think, are sometimes often seen as like an upper middle class kind of a thing, but it really is something that creates community. And if we want to create community, which I think, you know, sort of that small town mentality of we all take care of each other, I think that it's important that we support small producers because they're the ones who are growing our food. And, you know, know your farmer, know your food. And so I think that it's really, um, it's an opportunity not only for us to support local agriculture so that it makes it affordable for farmers to continue to grow, but then it also gives access to people who otherwise might not have access to good food. 
Hi, my name is Becky Painter. I am from Eagle Mountain, Utah, and I have a, a market garden there and a, a farm called ICANN Academy. And we are here to learn, be inspired, and to get to know other people. Very cool. And why do you feel like people should support local farmers? Oh my gosh, because of so many reasons. For My favorite is nutrition. The nutrition of your food is so much higher when you buy local. It supports farmers that need the support to make it. We only produce 3% of our food in Utah that we consume in Utah. So it's so important to make that be a big priority in our communities. Uh, My name is Heather Miller, and I am from Lehigh, Utah. And um, I have six children and a wonderful husband, and we farm in our backyard. So I have a master gardener. I got certificate. Yes, I got it at Thanksgiving Point through USC and um, I I think farming is or gardening is very therapeutic for me um, with six kids working side by side with them in the garden, just working the soil and seeing the, the miracle of growth and how that can inspire each of us to know our creator and know why we're here and how we can share what we grow and how it blesses other people. Um, my husband is a survivor of stage four colon cancer and that spread into his liver and his lung and he had a like a four percent, five percent chance of survival. But I feel very strongly that what we t- take into our body and what we eat um, has a huge impact on our health and vitality. And he's doing fantastic and he's beaten all the odds and I'm grateful for modern day medicine but I'm also grateful for healthy vegetables and you know good good eating habits and it can be such a blessing for all of us so and so how how big is your property then we just have a half an acre but we have 28 fruit trees and we have three rows of three different kinds of grapes and we have two different varieties of raspberries and um, I start a lot of my seeds from scratch in my basement. My husband's built me. We have it's called the garden room, <laughs> and there's all these lights, you know. And um, I just tend to it, and I, I just I don't know. I feel empowered by gardening, and it's kind of strengthened my um, my confidence in my ability as a mother and as a, a community member. I'm very involved in strengthening families that are going through hardships. We started um, 19 years ago, Lehigh Family Week, and that's a way in which families can come together and strengthen one another, and we have like a whole week of celebrating that, but I think gardening is a huge way that we can connect with our community. That's awesome. So how much of the food you consume do you think you're actually producing? Oh, that's hard. Um, I would say personally, I consume probably 75%. I think for me, the whole beauty of it is getting up every morning before the kids are awake and just getting out there before the sun has even risen and just seeing the growth that is happening, the, the plants budding through the soil, just like, it kind of gives you hope. Yeah. It, it gives you hope and it gives you like, I have a second chance. Second chance at life, second chance at um, making this garden so successful. And um, it gives me peace, you know, it just gives me 
that knowledge of like, I can co-create with God, which is really a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Do your kids enjoy the gardening too? Um, some do and some don't. <laughs> But I must say that all of my daughters, I have four daughters and two sons, um, they joke with me. I make everything from scratch. I make breads from scratch, cakes, cookies, everything is from scratch. My own tomato sauce, everything. And they always like, where did you buy this, Mom? Because it's a joke. Like, Mom didn't buy it. She made it from scratch. (laughs) So they see the benefit of that. And I have uh, two grandsons. One is Preston is two and a half. And then Cameron is just like six weeks old. But Preston loves my soups. And when he doesn't want, I mean, he wants to come to Grammy's house to have her soups. I make this incredible mac, um, minestrone soup and has tons of beans in it and vegetables and stuff. And he just gobbles it. So it just, I don't know, it's just better for you, I feel. Well, even if all your kids don't technically enjoy the gardening part, do you think it's completely shifted their awareness of where our food comes from and how it's grown? Definitely. And not only that, uh, both of my sons have gotten their um, gardening merit badge. (laughs) It is. So they recognize, they recognize that there is power in the soil. And they can they can harness that power, and they can they can plant whatever they want. In fact, we have six raised garden beds, and every one of my kids can take a garden bed and plant whatever they want to. You know, if they want to do more strawberries, whatever. You know. So, but my son did last summer. He came with me, and he I bought him a blueberry plant, and we put it in a huge pot. And we got blueberries out of it. And first year, the first year that's that that fall, and it was incredible. My son was like, "I said, Jacob, it's amazing what you can do when you put something in the sun and you take care of it with water." And it was amen. Hi there, I'm Lloyd Nelson. I live in uh, Western Colorado, and uh, kind of where the Rockies meet the desert, uh, in a farming community up there, and. Um, this is our third time being at the Utah Farmers Conference, and we taught uh, uh, a half-day workshop pre-conference, and uh, I gave a uh, talk yesterday on biodynamic agriculture and trying to he- rejuvenate the life of the land through um, the biodynamic remedies and ways to stimulate, you know, the health and vitality. And so we're just trying to teach people that that there's, you know, we can there's economically friendly ways of farming that really brings fertility and health, but also from uh, you know, bigger picture point of view. So we're making homeopathic remedies for the earth. And um, so, yeah, and then today the closing keynote is going to be my partner, uh, Brooke LeVan, from uh, Sustainable Settings in Carbondale, Colorado. And, um, yeah, and we have... um, we have a company called Biodynamic Source, and we make these different different biodynamic remedies, and we um, teach a lot of classes, and we're just trying to get this work out there in the world. So it's really great to be here. Yeah, awesome. So people who aren't familiar with biodynamic farming, can you explain kind of what that is? Sure. Well, there's, uh, you know, this was, um, you know, this is 
this is biodynamic, so biology, so you're working with life, but then there's this dynamic, so you're working with the energetic crop properties of life. So, um, so then we make these incredible biodynamic fertilizers, and they're just they're, they're remedies that we use um, that are made from local ingredients that you can find on your own farm. So we tried, one of the main tenets is closing this loop of sustainability and fertility, so you're not importing, trucking in all this compost or fertilizers, but you can create that health from within. Um, so there's nine biodynamic remedies to, that we make. Uh, some of them are with cow manure, uh, quartz, uh, medicinal herbs, and they all go through like a year-long process. So those are like the, the, the uh, tools that we use to transform the soil. And then there's another, you know, another tenant in biodynamics is the, um, we really pay attention to the lunar calendar in our agricultural timings to have the, uh, the best timing for, um, you know, applying these different remedies to have action to bring the health into the soil. And then, um, yeah, and then the reality of trying to, um, you know, just really try to close the loop of fertility and, and uh, you know, make farming more economical and healthy for the future and building the bank account in your soil for the future. And that's what we're doing. Right, a lot of conventional agriculture, all the synthetic fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides, that depletes the fertility of the soil, right? Right, right. So, yeah, a lot of it is, you know... Um, you know, it's like the anti-life, you know, you're putting fertilizers and chemicals out there. And, you know, if you put a bunch of nitrogen on your field, you're kind of giving the, all the life, you know, all the worms and everything. You're giving the year off. They don't have to do their job, you know. Yeah. So this is about bringing the life back into the soil. Yeah. So then how did you get interested in biodynamic farming? Well, it was kind of a message from God, actually. It seemed like, you know, I just uh, had stumbled upon it. I was studying horticulture in college and, and um, I had a strong intuition with my brothers that we had to save the world and of course this was a youthful intuition but uh, the next day we met the man who turned us on to biodynamics and we found this um, and I started using it and had just incredible results and so uh, that was about 23 years ago and I've been teaching people how to make uh, these biodynamic remedies ever since and it's it's um, it's another way to um, you know fertilize in a, in a completely different matter that is going to you know you're using small amounts but they're high powered and they have an incredible effect in bringing the health and soils so we've been doing a lot of, you know, studying with the, even the USDA and the NRCS, and we have soil tests, like even the graphs on the wall there shows that the um, this stuff really works. Yeah. So we're here to, you know, help some of these farmers because this, you know, this dry desert climate out here, it's tough. Right. And so we need some new tools for the agrarians, and that's our work here. So then how would you say, if people are familiar with regenerative agriculture, how is biodynamic different or, or similar? Like what are... Well, I mean, a lot of the regenerative agriculture and even the organic movement came out of sort of the basis of what Steiner did, even the permaculture movement. So, or the you know, so the bio, biodynamics has been around for over a hundred years now, and um, you know, this was kind of these are like. Uh, the regenerative agriculture is about is regenerating the life forces, and so at the top of the list of what things can really regenerate, it's this working with the uh, different remedies that are uh, the biodynamic preparations to stimulate the health in the soil. And so, this this is just you know there's a number of the key tenets in regenerative farming, and so it's it's very important to pay attention to all of those. But then but then you know this is another step into creating these are the tools now that can really create the health. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Oh, I would just like to say, you know, uh, Sarah and Simria Patterson from Red Acre Farms, those ladies are amazing, and we wouldn't hear, be here without them. So they're a biodynamic farm, and if you ever stepped on their farm, you'll notice, you know, there's a difference there. There's some something going on. There's a health and a vitality that radiates, and they're like kind of a beacon of light, you know, out here in the middle of everything. So just like to give a lot of thanks to them, and um, yeah, I appreciate your time here. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at Mofaco Utah. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope, hope to, to see, see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local Jake Shepard. 